Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Cornerstone. Glad that you're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with us. What I want to do this morning is I want to take you to one of the appearances of Jesus following his resurrection. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you. If you just want to put your hand up and usher, we'll get a Bible for you. We would like you to follow along. I want you to see that what I'm saying is what the Word of God says. That's the only thing that I have any right to speak with you about here is to just expound upon the truth of the Word of God. So some hands over here. So, let me give you the brief setup for the text. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He has risen on the third day, Sunday morning, just like He said that He would, and He's appeared. He's appeared to some women that were followers of His as the appeared to them, showed Himself to be alive back from the dead, appeared to the apostles as they were locked behind closed doors. But there are two of his followers that had not seen him resurrected and they're taking a journey. And we're going to pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin with verse 13. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be fellow travelers with these two men as they travel from Jerusalem where the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus had just taken place and they are on their way back to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What I want to do as we look at these two men, I want to show you some comparisons. I want to make some comparisons between them and us today. First one is fairly simple, kind of academic, obvious. Like them, we are all on a journey. We're on the journey of life. Some of us have been on that journey a little longer than others. Some of us walking that journey have walked it so long that the soles of our sandals are almost worn off and we're trying desperately to figure out how to slow down the wearing out process. Anybody there? Amen. Others have just recently embarked on the journey, but the point is we're all on the journey like them. We don't know a lot about these Emmaus Road travelers to this point. We don't know how long they'd been on the journey or how far they had yet to go to Emmaus, but here's what we do know. We know the direction that they were heading. 
Emmaus lies west of Jerusalem. They were heading in a westerly direction. Here's what that means. They were heading toward the setting of the sun. As we this morning enter into this story, I want to ask you a question. I want you to consider a question this morning. I don't want to ask you how long you've been on the journey or how far you've got to go. That would be just speculation. Here's what I want to ask you. Which direction are you heading? Are you heading toward the setting of the sun? You say, well, If we follow the illustration, Pastor Brad, of course, all of us are heading toward the setting of the sun as far as life goes. All of us are heading toward the end of life and our existence. That's the journey of mankind. I want to say to you, that's not true. That's not true. I'm not heading toward the end of my existence. We'll come full circle back to that at the end of the message. But keep that question in your mind. Which direction are you heading? Luke 24, 14. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. They were discussing as they walked on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they were discussing and revisiting all of these incredible, shocking events that had just happened in Jerusalem. Here's a second similarity that I want to point out. We are all on the journey like them. Secondly, we have an interest in spiritual things like them. We don't know a lot about them, but we certainly know that they had an interest in spiritual things because Jesus had been their spiritual leader. They had followed Him and focused on Him. I'm assuming you're here this morning because you care about spiritual reality. That there must be something more than just the physical aspect and the tangible aspect of life. So a second thing we have in common with them is we, like them, have an interest in spiritual things. Here's a third truth. We, like them, are seekers after truth. It was certainly true of these Emmaus Road travelers. You see, what they thought is they had found the truth in Jesus. They had set themselves upon this great teacher, this rabbi that taught like no one had ever taught before. And because of his teaching, they trusted in him and followed him, but now he was dead and they were lost. I think Again, it would be safe to say that all of us here, like them, are seekers after truth. Goes along with the spiritual reality of life. I mean, what is this life about? What is the purpose? Why are we here? What gives life meaning and significance and value? What makes it worth the living? Particularly when life is lived in the valley, in the pain, 
Fourth similarity. At that very moment, as they journeyed, as we pick them up here in verse 14, what are they doing? They're talking about with each other all the things that had happened. And who is the centerpiece of all the things that had happened? It was Jesus. Here's what they were doing. They were having a conversation about Jesus. Here we are this morning. We are having a conversation about Jesus. In fact, we are talking about the same thing that they were talking about, about the events that took place 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Those shocking, what we know now is world-altering events. Verse 14, again, and they were talking with, with each other, about all the things that had happened. Do you see these four similarities here? It's an ancient story, but it's really not so ancient. We have a lot of similarities with them. This text, this ancient text, speaks right into our environment here. We're all on a journey. All have an interest in spiritual things, seekers after truth, having a discussion about Jesus and the events surrounding his final days. Let's see what happened to them. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Here's what happened. A third traveler joined them. A third traveler, unrecognized, came up and began to walk with them on the road. Here's what I am fully convinced of as the fifth similarity between them and us, and it is this. Like them, Jesus has come to meet with us today like he came to meet with them. How do I know that? Was this just a coincidence that Jesus just happened to be walking by and here are these two travelers talking about the events? It's not a coincidence. Why Jesus? Why now? Let me tell you why Jesus and why now as they were walking on the road. Here's why Jesus was interested in their interest of him. Jesus was interested in their interest about him. And so what he did is he drew near to them because they were interested and focused and talking about the events that had happened. Those incredible history-changing events. We are here this morning, travelers on life's journey with an interest in the spiritual, seekers of truth, talking about Jesus. And He does for us what He did for them. He draws near. He comes close. He's right here this morning. He's right here right now with His Spirit to meet with you as we walk with Him and these two followers on that first Easter. He wants you to know the truth. He draws near so that you can know the truth. 
He died so that you could find the truth. He rose so that you could believe the truth. He gave his word so that you could research the truth. He instituted the church so that it could proclaim the truth. And he called me to preach so that I could tell you the truth right now, right here, today. He's here. He's working Everything that's happening here is because he's the initiator that's bringing it about. You may be thinking, wow, if I could just see him like the Emmaus Road travelers did, then there'd be no problem. Then I believe. Would you? Did they? Verse 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near with them, and, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It seemed like these two men had every opportunity, yet they didn't grasp who Jesus was. They saw him, but they didn't understand They didn't realize. Jesus then asks them a probing question to get to the root of the problem. I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, and here's the question, What things? What things have happened? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' question here is a timeless question. It was timely for them, and it's timely for us. Did Jesus need them to tell him about the things that had happened in Jerusalem. I mean, did he really need that? The one that was standing there with holes in his hands and his feet and a hole in his side and thorn marks in his brow, did he need them to tell him about the events that had just taken place? No, he knew all about the events firsthand that had just taken place. What is he doing here? What he wants to know is what do they know about the events. What he wants to bring out is a problem with their understanding of the events. He knows what they know, but he wants them to understand that they really don't know what they should know. Is that clear? (laughs) See, the reason of the question is their hearts were not grasping. They were not understanding. And so he lets them expose their heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe Jesus is probing your heart with that question this morning. 
What do you know about the events that transpired? What do you know about the person to which those events transpired? What do you know about the meaning behind them, the understanding of them, and how they relate to your life right here today? Do you know? And as they answered Jesus' question, three problems arise, become visible in their understanding or lack of it regarding Jesus. Let me show them to you. Verse 19, And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to Him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Let me read that to you again. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Here's the first problem. They had a wrong understanding of his person. They had a wrong understanding of his person. Here they call him a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Great man, great prophet, but just a man. That's a wrong understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know that every major religion in the world believes that about Jesus? And they're all lost. Except Christianity. Is he just a man, a great man in a successive line of great men throughout history that founded the religions of the world? Is he just a man, a great prophet, or is he something else? Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Here's their second problem. They had a wrong understanding of his pain. They had a wrong understanding of his pain. You see, what's here, they saw his crucifixion as his defeat. They saw his crucifixion as the victory of the chief priests and leaders that had handed him over to be crucified. And they had secured his crucifixion and now Jesus was dead and defeated and they were lost and hopeless because they had a wrong understanding of his pain. Verse 21, they go on to say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Here's the third problem with their understanding of Jesus, they had a wrong understanding of his plan. Of his plan. You see, they, as the majority of the Jews, believed that what the Messiah was going to come to do would be to lead them in victory against Rome, get them out from under the subjugation of Rome, bring them into a place of great prosperity, undiminished prosperity. They had a wrong understanding of His plan. And because they 
misunderstood his person, his pain, and his plan. Look what happened to them. Verse 21, they go on, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. His crucifixion, the third day. It's Sunday. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. What did they do? They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You see, the longer Cleopas here talked, the more he indicted himself and his friend for their unbelief. I mean, what more evidence could they have? They had their own group, women that had went there, that saw the empty tomb that had been guarded by Roman soldiers, stone rolled away, now empty, and angels appearing saying he's risen. And then the apostles, the leaders of the group, themselves had said that he was alive, that the tomb was empty. But here, they do not grasp it. They do not believe it. They're downcast and dejected. All of their hope is gone because they had set their hope in Him to be the one who is going to come and restore Israel to a place of power and authority and it didn't happen. Now He's dead and now their hopes are gone. So Jesus is going to correct their understanding of Him. Luke 24, 25 to 26. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. If you mark or highlight in your Bible, I'd encourage you to notate that Little three-letter word, all. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Their basic problem was that they did not believe all that the prophets had spoken about the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, the Christ. They believed just some, but not all. Along with the Jews, they were looking for a conquering Redeemer. But they were not looking for a suffering Savior. They were reading the Old Testament and seeing the glory, but they weren't seeing the humility. They were seeing the crown, but they were missing the cross. So Jesus takes each one of these three errors and He corrects them. Watch how He does it. It's incredible. First, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ, stop right there, the Christ, you know what that word points to? 
That's the Messiah. That's the anointed one. That's the long promised Savior that had been prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament. That's the God-man. That's the Son of the living God. Jesus said, this man that you're talking about, he's not just a man. He's not just a great prophet. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's the second answer to their error. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? You see, gentlemen, you're confused. Because you believe that the priests secured the crucifixion of Jesus in their wickedness, that they secured His death and defeated Him. You missed it. You missed it. Why? It was His plan that the Christ would suffer these things. That's what had to happen. That's what's always been written. That's been told for centuries down through the Old Testament that the Christ would come to suffer. He's not going to come with a silver spoon in His mouth to be worshipped and adored by all at His coming. He's going to come and suffer. He's going to come in pain. He's going to come and be rejected. He's going to come and be nailed to a cross. That's what the Bible has always said. And you missed it. You missed the plan. Third, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? There is the plan. The pain was always to be the cross. The plan was ultimately to be glory. But how was the glory to come? It was to come through the cross. There was to be the cross, then the crown. The cross was not the defeat of Jesus. It's what set up the great victory. Because if there's not a death, how can there be a what? A resurrection. We wouldn't be here today saying He is risen unless there had been a crucifixion. The crucifixion set up the resurrection to prove who He was. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. While Jesus was living and ministering there in Palestine, they asked Him, show us a sign, prove to us who you are. And He said, I'm not going to do that, I'm just going to give you one, just one sign. For as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, referring to Himself, is going to be in the earth three days and three nights, and then He's coming out. And He's coming out. That's the sign. The resurrection is the sign. The resurrection is the proof. So Jesus says to these men, listen, you misunderstood 
His person, that man that you're talking about is the Christ. He is God in the flesh. And his death, his pain was not a mistake. It wasn't a defeat. It was the setup to victory. And the plan was the cross would give way to the crown. The defeat of death would give way to the victory of life, which would defeat death. You see, you misunderstood. Here's my question for you and me. Do we do the same? Do we do the same? Are we confused over why Jesus came at times? I believe we are. The Jew was looking for Jesus to come and set up an earthly kingdom and lead them in victory. What about us? Do we think that if we are good followers of Jesus that we'll have marriage without turmoil, kids without problems, pockets without bottoms, and health without end. Do we think that? Do we look to Him to remove our problems? That's not why He came. In fact, He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't come to remove our problems. Instead, here's what He came to do. He came to give us strength to endure our problems in faithfulness. Do we look to Him to direct our every step? That's not why He came. Instead, He teaches us to walk in faith even when we don't know which way to go. Do we look to Him to answer our every question? That's not why He came. Instead, what He did was He came so that we would trust Him even when we don't understand why it's happening or what we're going through to know that He does and He's enough and He'll take us through. He then does an incredible thing for these followers. Oh, this is an incredible verse. Man, there are some verses that are high points in Scripture. This is a high point for me. Luke chapter 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Wouldn't you like to have been there that day? Oh my, what I would have given to be there with them with the little pocket recorder and taken down that teaching session as the living Word unpacked the written Word throughout all of the Old Testament showing that all of the Old Testament was ultimately a picture of Him. Wow, that would have been incredible. That would have been a priceless treasure that we could have 
meditated on and dove into for a lifetime. Greatest teaching session in the world right there. They still have not recognized him. But their hearts were burning. We're going to read that in a minute. As he did that, there was an awakening taking place. There was a fire of truth that was set in their lives. So instructive to me here as a preacher. They had heard firsthand testimonies of those that they knew and trusted. He's alive. He's alive. Even their leaders, he's alive. Some saying angels even told it to him, he's alive. But the problem was they didn't believe. And so what did Jesus do? Here's what he did. He took them to the Word of God. He took them to the Word of God. Why would He do that? Here's why. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. What has to happen, I cannot get up here and say anything just in my own creativity to change your eternal destiny But if I can share the word, what God has chosen to do through His Spirit is to use the word to send it out and bring life where there's death, sight where there's blindness, hearing where there's deafness. He uses it to take hearts of stone and turn them into receptive, pliable hearts. He uses it to take rebellion and animosity and turn it into love. The Word of God sent out not just by a person's lips, but through the activity of the Spirit of God. I'm praying that that's happening right now, today. Luke 24, 28, and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Here they are. They've been listening to Jesus not even knowing who He is, but listening to the living Word, unpack the written Word, and they arrive at Emmaus and they say, oh, stay with us. Please don't leave. Please keep this going. We want to hear some more. Don't stop. Come in. Fellowship with us. If you are here this morning... Because you're a seeker after truth. And if you want to know if Jesus really is who He says He is and if He can really do for others what He's done for you, 
Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Do just what these Emmaus Road travelers did. Lean in. Lean in. Say, Jesus, if you're real, if you are really who you claim to be, if you can really give me life, remove my sin, give me righteousness before God and a undefeatable hope of eternal glory with you. If you're really who you claim to be, would you please stay? Would you please show me? Would you please reveal to me that truth? I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you that you would do that, that you would ask him that. Over the years in my ministry, I've had a few times where I've had people that have attended this church for a period of time that have asked for a meeting. They've come to my office and sat down. It just so happens that these two different individuals, different, different times, one was a lady, one was a man, they were incredibly intelligent people. They were intellectuals. They sat down in my office and they said, I'm hearing things that I've never heard before about this person called Jesus. I believe in God, but I'm trying to understand and grasp the claims that you're making about Christ, Christ being God. So I present the gospel to them again and the claims, but said this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. If you're honestly a seeker, you pray sincerely and say, Jesus, if this is who you are, would you please show me? Reveal it. Put him to the test. Reveal it. Both of those circumstances, I'll give you one. Gentleman, about two weeks later, called and I picked up the phone and he said, it happened. I said, who are you and what happened, right? I see it. I was just reading and contemplating, studying, and all of a sudden I saw Jesus to be who he claims to be. I could never see that before. I couldn't muster up the faith, but as I looked into that truth in prayer, he just showed me that he is who he claimed to be. Do that. Lean in. Verse 30 and 31, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I'm going to take a little liberty here with the text. This is just speculation, but I love the connection. It says that he sat down with them to break bread. He broke bread and gave it to them. When he did that, when he broke bread and gave it to them, what had to be exposed to them as he did that? His hands. What was it about his hands? 
they had the holes of the Roman spikes in them. They had the markings of the crucifixion. I don't know if that was the final thing that triggered it. But here's the point. They didn't understand who Jesus was and the purpose of the resurrection until Jesus came to them and opened up the word of God to them and fellowshiped with them and then they came alive. Then they were regenerated. Then they saw what they couldn't see and heard, what they couldn't hear and understood, what they couldn't understand. It was the Spirit of God opening up the Word of God and birthing the sight and the faith unto eternal life in them. I believe he'll do that for you and what a transformation it can take make in your life. Look at verse 32. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread now we have come full circle folks back to the beginning question which direction are you heading which direction are you heading Are you like the Emmaus Road travelers at the beginning of the story? Are you heading toward the setting of the sun, toward the west? Are you heading just to the end of your life and your existence, believing that's all there is, without hope, without joy, without peace, in turmoil, full of the world's problems? Or or are you now like the Emmaus Road travelers that have now come to understand who Jesus Christ is and the purpose of his pain, his death, and the victory of his resurrection so that in faith now you have turned around 180 degrees and are heading back to the east to the rising of the sun to a promised hope of eternal glory that will never be diminished or defeated in your eternal existence. That's what happens when you come to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You go from heading toward the setting of the sun to the rising of the sun, the eternal rising of the sun. He'll take you through every problem and every pain. He'll take you through all of the struggles of marriage and all of the hardships in raising kids and all of the empty pockets and all of the bad health and whatever other valley life brings your way. He won't take those away, but he'll meet you in them in his resurrection power and he'll walk 
with you through them. And one day you'll enter into glory and you'll be transformed and this feeble body will be done away with and you'll put on immortality like he did in his resurrected body and you'll be with him forever without pain, without a heartache, with nothing but joy and peace in an increasing measure throughout all eternity. That's the promise that Christ brings. That's the promise that he brings. If you put your faith in him, see him for who he is. Proverbs 4.18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. What happens when you put your faith in Jesus is He makes you righteous. He gives you His righteousness. He took your sin, paid for it on the cross so that you put your faith in Him. What happens is you get the very righteousness of God Himself and that means that you start on the path of the righteous. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And you're not going to do anything to forfeit it. It's going to be yours for eternity. Do you need to keep walking? Keep moving toward Him? Keep progressing? Growing in the practical application of that? Yes. But once He gives you His righteousness, it's yours forever. And that path becomes brighter and brighter. You get to know Him more and more. The joy increases and one day you'll break through and shed the struggles and the pains of this world and you'll see him as he is and you'll be transformed into his image in glory to be with him forever, reigning in power. Wow. And it's free. It's free. It's not cheap. It cost God everything, but it's free for you and offered to you this morning. Would you please stand? Oh, Father, God, I am just always amazed at your truth. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for turning aside and coming and drawing close to these two men. Caring about their heartache and their pain. Coming beside them to bring them into the light of truth and joy and peace and in undefeatable hope. Just, just think about the transformation. Same guys, same circumstances, but from one moment to the next, everything changed for them. God, do that, Lord, I pray. Do that for those here that are seekers after truth. Show them who you are, Jesus. Birth faith through the preaching of the word. Give them life in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.